Well, how y'all doing today? Man, it's good to see a full house in here. And we just want to welcome and thanks, uh, say thank you to our Facebook Live and everyone who's watching live on our different platforms. And um, man, what a, what a cool day it's going to be. Amen? Um, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And, and uh, I appreciate everybody coming out. If I've never got a uh, chance to meet you, I would like to do that at some point, so I will find you and I will say hi to you. Um, anyways, uh, with that, we, we appreciate you coming to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church this morning. There's so many places you could be, uh, church-wise or any other activity-wise, but today you chose to come here and we do appreciate you because we've got a great special day for you today. Great uh, guest speaker. Um, Man, the Rhodes have been with us for 10 years, and uh, what a, I mean, that's pre-kids, man, that's pre-kids. So anyways, um, the Rhodes have been here for, uh, Kevin and Bailey's been here for almost 10 years, and um, we're just now finding that awesome gift that they carry, and uh, it is so, so cool. Bailey gets up here and, and gives us our uh pre-service snacks sometimes and uh, many times and and they've they've all they've uh, the whole family's just been so awesome to our church and it's been an honor to get to know you guys so much you know and um so you know i could say the things that i want to say about bailey um and what she's done here and the and the uh, um, participation that the roads do here but man it's it's so awesome to get to have this this morning um, I know Bailey pretty good, but I know somebody else who knows Bailey a heck of a lot better than I do, and I want him to come up here. Kevin, would you come up here and introduce your wife? Y- y'all need to stop that. She's the one who has the word. Um, it, I am so proud. I am so proud of my wife as a husband, as a friend, as a partner in crime through life that, that I, I just can't even express it. Um, I think the simplest way that, that I can share this real quickly with you guys is I, I love Marvel movies. I love Marvel movies, and they're all about superheroes, right, and all their abilities. I live with a superhero. She is a superhero mom. She is a superhero wife. She is a superhero daughter and granddaughter and everything she does she does in excellence and she carries a heart and a love the size of texas so i am again overly happy and proud to uh, welcome my wife bailey to the stage you guys thank you <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I asked him probably about a week ago, I said, now here's the deal. Anytime one of these women get up there and speak as a guest speaker, their husbands come up on stage. I said, are you doing this? Because I need to prepare and I need to know if I can wear regular mascara, if I need to wear waterproof mascara. And he said, no, they haven't said anything. And I'm assuming at that point they hadn't. Yeah. At that point they had. So he didn't lie. He was being honest. Um, 
but man, he's, he is my better half and he keeps me grounded in so many ways. So I want to first thank our pastors. They, you know, every time someone gets up here and, and gives a word as a guest speaker, they, you give kind of what seems like this obligatory, you know, thank you pastors for inviting us. Thank you for having us. But in all seriousness, they care so much about this congregation and the heart that they carry in driving our church in a direction of God and making sure that we are not only being filled here, but going out into the world and, and that we're prepared for that. So if you would give our pastors a round of applause for me. <clears throat> You know, it's humbling to be in this space because I, growing up, we went to church to suffice my grandfather. That really is why we went to church. We, uh, we weren't involved. We weren't invested. We didn't serve anywhere. And in fact, uh, <laughs> I remember almost every Sunday that we would end up going to church, my biological mother and I, we would play hangman behind my grandfather's back and we would pass the card back and forth as if he didn't know what was happening. But that's why we went to church. Uh, It was just to make him happy. And I remember for so many years, just imagining God, not as the loving and caring father that he is, but as this kind of mystical man in the sky with a magic wand. And if you were good that day, he would grant your wish. And if not, then he was going to bop you on the head like a -a whack-a-mole game, right? But it's not. And God is so good because no matter where you are in your walk, no matter how many times you step away, you can always come back over and over again. And what I've learned is that you don't start from the same place that you were before. You always start bigger and you always start with a greater foundation. And God is always a place of understanding. You have a firmer foundation and a stronger relationship. So what I want to tell you today is whether you have been here as long or longer as Kevin and I have, or if this is your first time, maybe somebody invited you and you're thinking, okay, I'll go and I'll listen to what this church thing is all about. I want you to know that you are not unwelcome. You are not unqualified, but it's actually quite the opposite. And we are so excited to have you here. And we appreciate that you're spending your weekend with us. Um, And you are wanted. You're wanted here. So as Kevin said, uh, or I guess Pastor Darren, so Kevin and I have been married for about 10 and a half years. We have... um, been here for almost 10 years because we realized after our first year of marriage that guys, that first year of marriage might be bliss, but when you only see each other once a week, like we did, you have a lot of time to be happy together, but you also only have one day of the week to fight and you only have one day of the week to work things out. Um, so we've been married for about 10 and a half years. We have a daughter, Kensington. And if you have ever seen her, you probably see her bow enter the room first And her personality is just as big as she is. She's got an opinion about everything, um, but it's, it's usually well, well well-rounded. So that's okay. We also have a son, Corbin, who just turned five on Friday. And I will tell you, if you don't want God brought into a situation, don't talk to Corbin because he's the first one. He's going to lay hands on you. He's going to tell you not to speak poorly over yourself. He is, he's spicy, but he's, he's pretty fantastic. Um, And while we weren't married in this church, we have been here long enough that we have managed to walk through some of our greatest highs and our winningest of days and some of our lowest lows. And we have fought battles in this church and with this church. And 
It's because of this church that we have survived in our relationship with Christ because of the connections that we have been able to make. Um, And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk a lot about connection because while we have been here for so long, what I will say is that while I've seen a lot of you and I can get up here and I can do open, we haven't, I don't necessarily know that I know. I don't know all of your names. I don't know each of you individually and as your, your personal story. And so we're going to talk about building relationships on the foundational stone that is Jesus. And this idea that we don't come to church to fellowship, but we come to church. And when we make those connections, that's when fellowship happens. And that's when that connection, we begin to build those relationships when we become the ecclesia. So if I were to ask you, how do you build a relationship? You would probably tell me through common interests. Maybe you are in a book group together or a motorcycle club. Maybe it's simply because you're in a season of life that you have kids and you seem to only spend all of your time at their sporting events. And so by God, you're going to make some other parent your friend because you have to be able to talk to someone. Um, And how do you get to the point of knowing someone? Because knowing someone is different than a simple introduction. Is it that you remember their coffee order and you bring it to them when God speaks to you and tells you that they might be having a day and they need something from you? Or is it that you remember their favorite color? Um, What are the qualifiers that deem your relationship established and that move you from being that surface level conversational relationship to a true established friendship? Maybe it's that you're celebrating kids' birthdays or anniversaries together. And maybe it's that you get a promotion at work and you call that person because you're really excited. You've been working through it and you've been praying with them. Um, or maybe it's that you sit in the side room of a funeral home with your kids because your best friend is mourning the loss of a great family member. And that's how you know that a friendship is truly established. As I look at my best friend who did that. Um, but how, how do you get to the point that you trust someone so much that you are calling them with your heart and you're saying, I need you. I need you to fight with me because my fight is gone and I don't have it right now. So I need you to fight with me. How do you get there? And if you, if you really think about it, it would probably be through conversation and through time spent And I'll be honest, if it's any sort of indication as to how I build relationships, I remember I was on a vacation once with my grandparents and I was about 10 years old. So at this point, I'm an only child. The world is all mine and it it basically just revolves around me. That's it. Um, It's just me and the blue hairs, which is really kind of foreshadowing to a lot of my adult relationships. Um, But I was 10 years old. And we were on our way to Florida and we stopped for the night at a hotel and I was the only child without siblings there. And so I decided that I wanted to go play with these kids. They were playing some sort of game and right. So you're, you're 10 and you're kind of gangly and you're awkward anyway. And so instead of swimming up to them and saying, hi, can I play with you? Just really casually, I stand over in the corner in my grandfather's extra large t-shirt, right? Because why not as as a child of the eighties, we don't have matching swimsuits like our kids do now. Um, But I swim over and I say, hi, 
My name's Bailey, and people tell me that I'm really weird, but your game looks fun. Can I play with you? Like, I didn't have to point that out. It was obvious in itself, just watching me stand in the corner for 10 minutes preparing this speech and rehearsing it, right? But instead of just saying, hi, can I play? I just draw more attention to the fact that that I'm awkward. And I never really seemingly grew out of that stage. I was having, uh, I was meeting with a girlfriend a couple weeks ago and a common interest arose and I said, oh my gosh, just so you know, we're now best friends. And you guys, I, I barbarically just laid claim to her. I wasn't spending time. I wasn't getting to know her more. I was just, by goodness, you're going to be my best friend because we happen to share a simple common interest. And she laughed, but I'm guessing that she probably went home and told her husband, this girl's really weird and I can't meet her again. So if I have to, you have to go with me and that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, but you know, if it's any looking at the opposite of, of the spectrum, if it's any measurement of a relationship as a time spent, the amount of time that my family has spent in this building would be indicative of an idea that we have massive and significant relationships. And we do, and I don't want to discount those, but we have gone through financial freedom classes with the Martinez's. We have gone through um, my husband serves on the security team. I served back in children's ministry. I served at the uh, hospitality team. I don't know that there's a room in this building that we haven't been a part of the ministry. But I also am not sure that if I were to walk down the hall on any given Sunday and someone that I didn't know and didn't have that true relationship with were to ask, hi, how are you? I don't know that I would give them an answer other than I'm great. I'm busy. I'm good. How are you? Because it's very surface level. And whether it's that I don't trust them with my heart, I don't want them to think that I'm crazy. And I just dive into all things that are the Rhodes house, (laughs) whatever that is, I'm cautious and I'm not connected and I'm not building and extending that relationship. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I want to, if you will turn with me to Ephesians. And I'm going to give you a little backstory here. So in Ephesians, uh, this is written by Paul and he's writing to the church of Ephesus and the book of Ephesians is a bit different than any of the other books that Paul has written because the other books are kind of correcting and they're reminding the church of what they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to be. But Ephesians is much different and it speaks of God's love and his, the relationship that he wants to have with us. And so about two years ago in, in Paul's time in two years ago, he had been uh, wrongfully accused of taking a group of Greek individuals into the temple. And instead of being punished by time of prison, he was punished by ha- time in house arrest. And so that's where we find ourselves. And he goes, he goes in uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to tell us that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has been lavished upon us as a love gift from our heaven, wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. In Ephesians 1, 5, 6, he says, he, God, has the perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he now has for us. 
And this unfolding plan brings great pleasure to him. And this right here is exactly what Pastor Darren was talking about last week, if you were here, when he talks about are being adopted into the family of Christ. If you sit here today and you have given your life to Jesus and you've asked him to come into your heart, he then has grafted you like the wild olive tree into his family. And there's no longer an opportunity for people to see separation. You are one with Christ. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. And that's how he sees you just as his daughter or his son. You are his child and there is no difference. Uh, grafted by definition tells us that this is the nature and condition of the true disciples of Christ who by receiving the spirit of God into their soul become the sons and daughters of God. So again, if you sit here today, you are a member of Christ's family and there is no different. We see you no differently. You've been here just as long as anyone else and you are qualified just the same as anyone else. In 317 of Ephesians He talks about our unity in Christ and the spiritual power given to us by saying constantly using your faith, the life of Christ would be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love would become the very root of your life. Now we're only three and a half chapters in and this sounds like a pretty darn good relationship to have. He is delighted in us. He has tremendous love for us, but I'm also going to be really honest. I'm a pretty fantastic person, but I think my husband, as great as he was when he came up here, would honestly tell you that I can be a bit spicy sometimes. I can be a bit much, and I don't always feel like I deserve to be lavished upon, but God feels differently. And if you are a child of God, he lavishes over you. And he takes great joy and pride in calling you his. So I want you to walk with a confidence and a knowing that you are well taken care of and that you are well loved. It's important to understand who you are in Christ because the world does such a job of telling us who we aren't. We aren't enough. We aren't smart enough. We aren't strong enough. We aren't fast enough. We aren't thin enough. We aren't loud enough. We don't know enough. We aren't qualified. And God simply says, you're enough. And that's it. That's all you need. So if you go on, um, after Paul writes about the appointing of of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and others as teachers, we're going to sit here in chapter 4, verse 15 for a minute. And it says, all direct, all our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him. The anointed head of the body, the church for his body has been formed and is in his image closely joined, say closely joined together and constantly connected as one and every member being given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we're built up in his perfect love. So I don't know if you heard this, but it says every member, every member that's each of us have been given a divine gift to contribute to the growth of all. We can't do it with just part of us. It has to be all of us. Here we understand the importance of connection because a body without a limb or a body that's missing or a body with an ailment becomes ineffective. And we then try in other ways to compensate and it just doesn't work because it's not as God intended. God is the head directing our life 
And in chapter six or in verse 16, excuse me, where it says for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. This word body is defined as a number of men closely united in society or family. This is each of us coming together, make up, making up the body and being closely joined. Say closely joined. How can you be closely joined without knowing someone? How can you be closely joined without having an emotional connection? Interest being a part of a knitting club together, which I just actually kind of got, God's funny. You knit together, you're closely joined. But just because you're a part of a knitting club does not make you closely joined. God's funny. <laughs> you know, Pastor Lynette spoke a couple weeks ago on her Thanksgiving And if you weren't here, it was the most beautiful image because she talked about growing up in Thanksgiving time and her family would come together and everyone was in the kitchen cooking and everyone took part and they made sure that every single person there had their favorite meal, had their favorite dish, no matter what it was. It could have been as eclectic as possible, but every single person, no matter whether they were guests or family, had a say in what was on that table. And she was talking about how her table's growing and it's getting bigger. And she looks over here in this direction and has this amazing moment with her new daughter-in-law, Lacey. And you can tell that they are closely joined. They love one another deeply and they have this moment and it's so sweet. And as I sat there, I have to tell you, my memories of Thanksgiving growing up as a child were very different because I, like some of you, came came from a family of divorce. And there's nothing wrong with being a child of divorce, but I will tell you, um, it can be an interesting setup for a child when you have a biological mother and a stepdad whose families aren't getting along, so they have separate holidays. And then I had my dad and my mom, and they had another house. And so I remember one Thanksgiving in particular, I was driving at this point, so really no one else was going to get me anywhere, but I was expected to be everywhere. And I started at one house and it was somewhere around the third plate of food and not the third house, but the third plate of food, because on Thanksgiving, we don't count the plates of food. We count how many people we see. And so it was somewhere around the third plate of food that I, I realized what time it was. And I stood up and I remember just interrupting conversation simply by getting up because my plate wasn't empty. We weren't finished. And I stood up and I said, I'm so sorry. I have to go but I have to go to the next house. And I remember feeling ashamed. I was embarrassed. I felt rude because I wasn't working to build these relationships, but instead I was wishing the day away. I was so tired, first of all, because I felt like I was spending more time in a car than I was at a dinner table enjoying company. And I struggled with this idea of going from house to house to house. And I don't want you to hear this and think, oh, Poor Bailey. It's not that. I didn't grow up having a childhood that resembled Harry Potter. I wasn't locked in a cabinet (laughs) underneath the stairs, right? That's not it at all. But the holidays were not always joyful because I felt like I was spending more time commuting than I was really getting to become closely joined with my family. And I know now as we begin to build our family and build our traditions that the holidays are made with time spent. It's made through the loud noises of kids running up and down the hallway, 
kids passing out ornaments in a traditional exchange that we do every year for Christmas. And it's so fun for us. And I can tell you that those relationships are built through cultivating, through spending time and understanding. Holidays aren't a quick throw together craft mac and cheese meal. And if yours are, that's okay. But the traditional family holiday takes time and it takes understanding It takes a lot of energy and so much patience, especially if you're cooking with a little one. And I can tell you that if you spent any sort of time in the kitchen with my mom or my mother-in-law, you start to really understand the importance of those handwritten recipe cards. And you start to learn those tips and tricks that aren't written on the card, but that is what joins us. And you start to feel a connection with people generations away that you have never had the opportunity to meet. But through this time spent you really start to understand the importance of all of that. And I believe that this is the type of relationship that God intended the body to have when he says that we were led by him and we were closely joined. When I was putting this message together, I thought about the different messages that I could have, or the the different stories that I could have talked about, right? I, I thought about Adam and Eve. One was literally made from the rib of another. They wandered around naked, They wandered around naked in a garden forever. I don't think you become more close to someone than that. (laughs) I thought about Ruth who lost her husband, but continued to stay with her mother-in-law and refused at her mother-in-law's begging and pleading to go on to a better life. She refused to leave her because they were family and they were closely joined. And one particular story kept coming back to me. If you'll turn with me over to Luke. Here we hear about Jesus and his ministry is growing. He's ministering in Galilee. And every day, more people are coming, more people are being healed, more people are hearing his word every single day. And at one point, he even, the Bible tells us, he gets in a boat and rows away from shore. And that's where he ministers from because maybe he felt like the crowds were too closely joined. He, He was a little too close, right? But these crowds are growing daily. People are hearing the word. His messages are spreading. And he wants everyone to understand how great his father is. So in in, uh, Luke 5.18, it says, Some four men came to Jesus, carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. They attempted to bring him past the crowd and set him down in front of Jesus. But because there were so many crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. So they crawled onto the roof dug their way through the tiles and lowered the man on the stretcher all the way into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. It goes on to tell us that because of his demonstr- or their demonstration of faith, his, his, his sins were forgiven and he's healed. And this shouldn't be overlooked. This is incredible. But I don't know about you, parents in particular, or aunts and uncles or grandparents, if you've ever had a child that's fallen asleep in the car, and you try to move them to another space, they are dead weight. And an individual who is a paraplegic, I, I, I did far more research than I probably ever needed to know, but they are useless in terms of helping to maneuver themselves anywhere. And I, don't, I, I, I think about carrying Kensington, who is as long as she is old, from the couch upstairs, and she just goes straight like a limp noodle 
And then her jammies start to slide up and she's not helpful. And then you get to the base of the stairs and go, God, I should have just left her on the couch. Really should have just left her. It would have been a better decision. And if it weren't for her waking up in the middle of the night and coming to then ask me, why'd you leave me on the couch? I probably would. But we understand that this man was no help. He wasn't able to help himself. He wasn't able to help the four men carrying him. And so I want to focus where it says some four men came to Jesus carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. Now, what we don't know is how far they had come. What we don't know is how long they had known this man. What was in it for them? It doesn't go on to tell the story of them being heroes. So why did they invest their time to ensure that this man was seen by Jesus? I'm just going to tell you, these are the things that I think about. I I don't know how long this took, but once they realized that they can't get him through the front door, listen, how they all had to come together to get this man on the roof, because if they're all brawn and no brain, sure, they can, they can shuck him up there, but then he's going to need healing for something other than just being paralyzed. And, and so you, you've got to imagine that one is maybe duct taping him, maybe, maybe, maybe roping him. One is pulling him up and you hope that someone is really kind of a structural engineer type. And he's thinking about how they're going to open the roof and lower him down. Because if all four fall, sure, Jesus can heal him, but then he's got to worry about the five and not just the one. But the fact of the matter is every single one of these four men brought a different perspective to the situation. They all contributed in different ways that were unique. And just like it said in Ephesians before, every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the entire body and the growth of all. These gifts operate effectively throughout the entire body. Again, if we have all brawn and no brain, or if we've got every single person thinking that their pulley system is going to be better, they're going to spend more time fighting over how to get him up and how to get him in front of Jesus than they are actually celebrating the healing that comes. If these men hadn't been given a different perspective of thoughtfulness and ingenuity or strength, whatever their gifting was, it would have been a very different situation. This man might have never been set in front of Jesus. Only you can contribute to the body in the way that God intended. And I want to stop here and say, if you miss something, if you think you hear a word and you don't act on it, you have not ruined God's plan because I promise you we are not that powerful. But you have been given a gift unlike anyone else in the body. It may be similar, but it is yours. And you need to come to understand what that gifting is and how you can contribute. So how did he build a relationship with them that they were willing to pause Chip and Joanna, that they were going to make sure that that ESPN game was, was recorded for later and they could come back to it to ensure that he met Jesus. And I believe that that's through time spent. And you say, what does this mean for me? Sure, he was thankful. I'm certain that this man stood up. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. But if we're not cultivating connections, if we're not building relationships, if we're coveting our neighbor more than we're waiting, neck stretched out like that snapping turtle ready to cross that Texas highway, 
in anticipation of God's next move and revelation in his word, if we're too busy taking just one minute to ourselves because the world is overwhelming and I just need a minute, you're going to miss the blessing that it is to be a part of the body. But you know what? I'm overtouched. Moms, moms, I'm overtouched. Dads, I'm overworked. It's too stressful. There's too much. I just need a minute. I just need a minute by myself. And so you, you said, I'll just be a minute. I just, I'll be right back. But I want you to hear me when I ask you this. And this is, if I had a mirror, pot, meat, kettle. How often do you find yourself needing just a minute face down on your closet floor, asking God for revelation in a situation, asking him how to lead you, asking him to slam every door shut that isn't meant to be? Or how often do you find yourself sitting in the bathroom with your nose down in your phone. And I can promise you that you're going to find a lot more revelation and a lot more cup filling in the middle of your closet floor than you are in the bathroom with your nose scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. And again, this is not to you. This is just as much to me because I can't tell you as I sat here writing this at my desk, I was crying and God just told me you can start over over and over again. And you have this revelation. And so now next time you don't have to have this same revelation. You get to start from a better place. You get to start from a place of deeper connection. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you don't start to act on the divine gifts and contributing to the growth of all, you're going to end up less like the man that was lowered through the roof and more like the man at the pool of Bethesda. And for some of you that have been in church a while, you went, oh, I get that. And maybe if it was your turn in hangman, or if you aren't, haven't been in church a while, you're thinking, well, she was just talking about a man that was paralyzed. How'd she get, how's he going to go swimming? And you're confused. Let me help you. Turn over to John chapter five. The, 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 here we find ourselves at the pool of Bethesda. And the pool of Bethesda is an amazing place. And it's a, it's a place of healing. And there are, it, it's surrounded by people with infirmities. Some are blind. Some can't walk. Some have been this way for just a day. Some have been this way for so long. And at once a day, the spirit of the Lord comes down and stirs up the water. And it says that the first person in is healed. No questions asked. Doesn't matter what your problem is. You're healed just like that. So we find ourselves in John 5, 5, and it says, Jesus saw a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. The word goes on to say, when he saw this man lying there, he knew that he had already been in this condition for a long time. Guys, I'm going to tell you, 38 years is not a long time. That's a lifetime. It's It's a lifetime for me. It's a lifetime for Jesus. Jesus wasn't on this earth 38 years. This man had been this way for longer than a long time. And it says in John 5, Jesus asked him, he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get up? Do you want to go? And in, in John 7 or 5, 7, it says, sir, but I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, this is a very different 
story than up above, right? Here you have four men that are going to come with strong connections and they're ready to do literally whatever it takes to get this man. However many miles he has to walk, he's completely unable to help. They're going to lift him up on a stretcher. They're going to carry him up a building. They're going to hoist him. They're going to throw him, whatever they're going to do. Then they're going to dig a hole in the roof, make sure they don't fall down with him. They're going to lower him down. They don't care what they're missing or how long it takes. And then you have a man that says, sir, I have no one. Guys, they didn't even have to pick him up. You just slide his mat and roll him in. He didn't have to do any special tricks to get in the pool. You just roll him in. And he didn't have anyone. He had been alone for 38 years. No one to sit there with him and have conversation. No one to sit there with him and pray with him, pray healing He had no one to put him in the pool. And so I say again to you, if we don't start to act on the divine gifts and contributing to the growth of all, we're going to end up less like the man that was lowered in through the roof in front of Jesus and more left alone like the man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, I remember when Aaron Havens was here and he spoke about the bystander effect. And he, if you've never heard Aaron Havens, I would encourage you. He is amazing to absolutely listen to. But this bystander effect basically is the idea of they, they put someone in the middle of a sidewalk and they, they had a sickness or an ailment or they were at least pretending to. And the idea is how long would they stay there until someone helped? And people that were interviewed later who had passed by and asked, why, why didn't you stop? Why, why didn't you help? Because it's something around 27 minutes, 27 minutes that this person would lay and they tested it over and over and over again, 27 minutes that they would lay without anyone coming to help them. And so when people were asked, why, why didn't you stop and help? Why didn't you do something? He said, well, I'm not qualified. <clears throat> I didn't know them. And certainly someone else would come along. Certainly someone that was better qualified, someone that knew more, someone that could be more helpful. But who better to help and intervene? Who better to create a divine intervention than the ecclesia, which is you and me called out by name to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Who better? You know, if you're not going to be more closely joined and helping someone in need, I can't think of anyone else that would if it's not the church. So I would like to think that we are better people than that, right? That we wouldn't leave them sitting there. But what about your appointment? What about, what about that meeting that you have to get to or the 10 minutes that you lost because you had to circle back because your kid realized halfway on the way to school that he only had one shoe on his foot? Because that actually happened. And mama, I think I left my other shoe at home. How did you get in the car, bub? I was busy. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? So what about my time? What about me? Haven't I earned it? Don't I deserve a minute to ourselves? Why me? Why do I have to listen? Why do I have to invest and grow? Have you ever said to yourself, because I know I've heard it, I'm tired of being the only one in this relationship that puts any effort towards it. Why me? Why do I have to be the bigger person? Why do I have to be the adult? I'm tired of it. And I tell you now, because you are the ecclesia. You've been called out by name to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus.
You have a divine gift, whether you recognize it or not, I can promise you that someone has, and you are called to contribute to the growth of all. So what I believe the paralytic man did that the gentleman at the pool of Bethesda didn't, there are two things. One, I believe he spent time. I believe he spent time getting to know these men. Listen, again, whether he had known them for years or he just met him, it's an awful long hike up a, up a side of a building. You're bound to start some conversation at some point, but you got to get to know him. Now, we don't know if this gentleman was born this way, or maybe he was a sassy teenager and he snuck out with these friends and got in a head-on camel collision while he was cruising down the streets of, of, of Bethesda. He doesn't, we don't know. We don't know how he came to be here. But at some point... These four men felt connection enough to him. When it was time, they were ready to miss any event, to walk as far as they had to. They were willing to do whatever it took. So if we want to be a part of the closely joined body of Christ, we have to be constantly connected as one. And this doesn't mean that we have to always be with each other because Pastor Darren mentioned that noses and armpits might be on the same body, but they're not always by each other and for good reason. And, and even Jesus got in a boat and got away from the people to minister because he just needed to be able to, to, to be more closely joined at a distance. And that's okay. You can do that. But what I do believe this means is that we are called to pray without ceasing We have to let the word of Christ live in us richly, flooding you with all wisdom, as it says in Colossians. You have to spend time in his word every day. And you say, but Bailey, I'm busy. I'm busy. Well, hi, me too. I am too. But you know what? There are five-minute apps. There There are podcasts. And I can promise you that if your kid is listening to a podcast on the way to church, he won't be overhearing Stormy Warren say the damn word and have to stop a conversation with his sister and say, Stormy Warren, don't talk like that. And then go back to talking just like my five-year-old did last week. He corrected Stormy Warren on the radio, y'all, because he heard the D word. I can promise you that podcast about any part of Jesus's life is better off than him having to correct Stormy Warren. Thank you that he knew well enough to do so. But I can promise you that there are better options for him to listen to in the car. The second thing I believe that man did is I believe he celebrated Jesus or God at every opportunity. Luke 25 says this, in an instant, that man rose right before their eyes. He stood, picked up his stretcher and went home, giving God all the glory with every step he took. He didn't question like the Pharisees did. It goes on in the story to tell us that the Pharisees got real sassy and asked Jesus why he was healing sins or forgiving sins and healing bodies on a Sunday because this wasn't the day for it. Who's going to tell Jesus when he's allowed to heal sins and heal bodies? Not them. But this man didn't. He simply stood up and he celebrated God, giving him all the glory with every step he took. However, the man at the pool of Bethesda says this in John 5, 11. He rolled up his mat and he walked again. When asked, who was the man that healed you and ordered you to carry on your things on the Sabbath? The healed man couldn't give an answer because he didn't know. How often are you praying for breakthrough and you don't recognize where it's coming from? 
How often are you asking God or are you even asking in the flesh, God, I just wish I could do more. I wish I could do better. And then when it comes to fruition, what was the first thing we're set to say? Well, thank God they finally recognized me at work. Thank goodness all those extra hours finally paid off. Thank goodness all that time spent messing around over here finally did me some good and somebody paid attention. We're not sitting back and saying, God, you did this. You shut a door of someone else's life. You took them in a better direction for them and you opened it for me. God, you did this for me. You led me with divine steps. I listened to you and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm receiving because you, God, deserve to be celebrated. We more often than not work for recognition instead of an opportunity to give God glory. But when we find him in the little things and realize the divine gifts that contribute to the growth of all and these gifts operating effectively throughout the whole body that we are built up in his perfect love, we need God. He created us in his perfect love. So who better than to celebrate when all blessings fall upon us? Who better to celebrate when there is a breakthrough? Who better to celebrate as we sit and mourn and are comforted in our sorrow? Who better to celebrate for the relationships and the connections that we have in our life? So each of you were given a card today as you walked in. And I want you to take this card this week. And I want you to really sit down and talk to God. And I want you to ask him what he has for someone else in your life. And I want you to recognize their divine gifts. I want you to call their gifts out by name. I want you to encourage them as they find their place in the body of Christ. Remind them that without them, we don't operate the same. We operate with an ailment. We aren't in his perfect love. And I want you to recognize that they're in your life, not by accident, but because God created that connection. And we are made through time spent. And I'm hoping that these cards will help to ensure that your relationships last longer than mine did from that Florida pool. And if you, if you sit up here and say, I don't have those relationships, they've all left me. They've all told me that I'm worthless. They've all told me that I was an accident. I'm not meant to be that I'll never amount to anything because my past is such a mess and you don't know what I've done, but you know what God does and he doesn't care. He still calls you qualified and he still calls you his. And so I tell you that they're wrong. And today those people are missing out. So I want you to give God the glory with every step you take. And if you don't have those relationships to call out in your life, then I want you to use that card as an opportunity to thank God. Thank him for the blessings that you do have. Thank him for the, for the opportunities to serve and to be with others. And if you say, Bailey, I'm really struggling here. I have nothing to be thankful for. You are, you, you have the opportunity to be thankful. If nothing else for the breath in your lungs, tell him, thank you for the breath in my lungs that I can simply return it to you as an offering of gratitude and to be thankful and to show glory to him. And even more so if today you sit here and you haven't given your life to Christ, that's okay. Again, you're no less qualified than anyone else here. But if today you make that decision, I want you to use that card to write down the date because today is a day that should be remembered for you. And today is a day that should be celebrated. And if you don't know that you know that you know where you're going, 
I want to pray with you today with every eye open, every neck stretched out in anticipation, looking around because this is a place of celebration. And so I would ask, is there anyone here today that hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ and doesn't know that he is their father? Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come together, not only as individuals in the divine gifts that you have given us, but God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together as the church and to do all that we can for your glory. God, we, we pray that every heart here would know your love would know that they are divinely created in your image, God, and that without them, this world does not work the same, that they are not here by mistake, that they're not, they, they weren't created by mistake, God, that they have a plan from you, and that while nothing might make sense in this moment, God, you are the one that will lead them through this life in a way of divine creation. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together as the church, we thank you for the opportunity to grow deeper in connection. And we pray, God, that these would be relationships that would last us until we're called home. In Jesus' name, amen.